Well, hello there. My name is Chris Angel, and my pronouns are they, them. Welcome to Allyship is a Verb, the LGBTQ podcast that explores and humanizes practicing allyship for the LGBTQ community and beyond. Hi, I'm Katrina Schroll. My pronouns are they, she. Well, folks, it's important to let you know that there's also been a little bit of a pronoun update. I had this conversation with Katrina back in of this year, believe it or not. Hallelujah. We're catching up. But we had this conversation at the end of January of this year in 2022. And since our conversation, he now also uses he, him pronouns in addition to she, her, and they, them. So just wanted to let y'all know that. We first connected over LinkedIn, and I have been wanting to ask her to be on the show for a while. In an attempt to diversify outside of my network, she actually saw a post where I was asking for more folks to be a guest, and I was stoked because, I don't know, I was just being very shy and awkward. Katrina has a lot of stories and a lot of experience. They served as an aviation structural mechanic in the U.S. Navy, And in 2018, Katrina decided to take their own life after internalizing the behavior of an unsafe workplace. I imagine many of us listening to this podcast can think of examples of when we've felt unsafe in a workplace. They now serve others through their work in psychological safety, mental health, and boundary strategy for people who share their identities or their lived experiences. This work includes Absolutely Not, which is a podcast that I highly recommend, and I really love the branding, but I think that's also because I'm an elder millennial. It speaks to me. But it's a weekly live podcast dedicated to providing examples of setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm in those spaces. In addition to the identities that we are about to get into, Katrina also lives with post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, major depressive disorder, MDD, and a substance use disorder. As I'm working on this episode today, oddly enough, I had a call with a friend named Leah. She's a new friend. Hey, Leah, if you're listening by chance. And she actually encouraged me to share some things with y'all that I wasn't sure how to do. But honestly, this is probably the perfect episode. So I just wanted to share this now. At some point in late 2021, I finally signed up for TikTok and quickly fell down the rabbit hole of the ADHD part of TikTok. And then it quickly turned into the combo of ADHD and autism. And all of a sudden, it was like I saw myself in a way that I haven't seen before. And it was really intense because I found myself laughing at people's stories and just really resonating with what they shared. And it was almost as if all of these years, I finally was given an instruction manual for my brain. So something that's really important for y'all to know about me moving forward is that I do have an official diagnosis of ADHD. I do not yet for autism or ASD. There's a lot of reasons for that. And honestly, I am team self-diagnosis here, and that may be hard for some folks to wrap their head around, and I just want to say, please just respect that, and please just respect that I'm sharing this with y'all, because I think these are really important updates that help inform how I will be working with my guests moving forward, 
how I show up in this space, as well as others. So thank you for holding space with me. I also wanted to let you know about an event coming up real quick. I'm hosting a panel on Trans Day of Visibility, which is March 31st. Former guest Zoa Glows, which is one of those listener favorite episodes, will be on the panel, as well as my lovely friends, Maze Felix and Noel Fernando. There will be a link in the show notes as well as on the episode page if you're interested. It'll also be available to view later if you're not able to attend live. Oh, and it's free, so please do come and show up for these lovely humans. And now, three self-reflection questions to consider as you listen. Please stay after the conversation for three more. Number one, when I think of a queer person, who do I see? Number two, when I think of a veteran, who do I see? Number three, when I think about mental health conditions, who do I see? And now, here's our conversation. Okay, now I'm awkward and nervous. I don't know, I'm like, oh my god, it's been a few months. I'm like, ah. And I'm just, I've been so excited about meeting you. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay, you are black, Samoan, and queer. Can you share what those identities mean to you? So those identities mean a lot to me, but I share them freely with people because they're kind of the themes to the story or my autobiography. They kind of give people like cliff notes to what's going to be in the story. Like, oh, I know there's going to be racism in this story. Oh, I know there's going to be hostility in this story to the, mm-hmm. for the very least. So they'll be able to kind of do I want to pick up this book? No, probably not. Or yes, this is the type of book I love to read. Drama, all of it. And so they're <laughs> they're kind of just let, informing people very quickly, like, hey, this is what's in this book. You still have to read it, though. To your point, I love that because something that I've done, and it feels like a good time to quickly acknowledge this for the podcast. When I'm teeing people up, I usually say, cool, you identify as blank, blank, and blank, you know, whichever identities feel most important to you to share. So part of my doing that is because, like you said, it's this lens in which to like really listen to you and understand you're coming with these particular experiences or you want people to like know these top of mind. Surely you're so much more than those three identities that you shared with me. Um, You know, you're so much more complex and nuanced than that. And there has been some controversy online discourse. I'm not sure the right word here, but saying someone identifies as something can be seen or experienced as a microaggression. And so I've been trying to figure out what that means for me and my podcast. And so as you may have heard, I didn't say like you identify as these things. I just said, you are these things. Do you feel like does that feel like more powerful to you? Does that feel more, I don't know, I don't want to give you a leading question, but like, how, do, how does that feel for you, that difference? Mm-hmm. I've actually changed my language around that. My bio used to read Katrina identifies as, and now it mm-hmm. kind of reads like, these are my identities. Because one of the, the forming of that sentence is centering something Centering either the identities or it's centering me. I need y'all to center me. And then we can talk about those themes that are included in my story and my life. But yeah, please center me in the conversation about me. Absolutely. And I think where 
I still sometimes will use the language of, oh, I identify as, because I think it's also important that we self-identify, mm-hmm. right? So like, I think these are just really layered, really nuanced, <laughs> though thank you for letting me insert that here because it just it felt very relevant to our conversation. Well, you've got quite a following on LinkedIn and frequently share parts of your story, including actions and changes you'll be taking or making moving forward. Early in January of 2022, you wrote a post about something called a safety pause, and it was a situation that came up for you. It's certainly something I've done in the past with others related to my gender and sexuality gender and sexuality identities, uh, stumbling through that one, but I'd never heard of it phrased that way before, and it made so much sense. The moment I read it, I knew exactly what you meant. So first, thank you so much for that language. And secondly, you wrote, for those who don't know, a safety pause is when you hesitantly share one of your identities in conversation and pause to see how the other person reacts. You kind of hold your breath to see if this person will say some wild shit. Side note, I just love that I can say that right now. Thank you. Going back to the quote. And prepare to act accordingly if they do. You're ultimately gauging to see if it's safe to continue the conversation. So someone did a safety pause with you, and you shared that it made you cry. So I'm wondering, what are some ways someone might hold space for someone else in a safety pause moment? So I recently did a safety pause to someone else because we are human beings. We are constantly growing. And um, I know the phrase coming out usually pertains to sexuality and gender, but I have to come out constantly in so many different ways and in so many different lights that it's just really hard to navigate. But recently I was having a conversation with another queer person in a Zoom call, and we were talking about my history of sexual assault. I was unaware that I wasn't ready to say that out loud yet and began to kind of pause in conversation and cry. The person on the other side of the conversation just sat in the discomfort and really just from that pause that they gave me, allowing me to get through the conversation allowing me to move forward as I felt comfortable made me feel safe. They stayed in the discomfort with me. And as soon as I was ready to move forward, embraced me, acknowledged what I had shared with them, and then helped me move forward. So yeah, if somebody ever does a safety pause to you, I highly encourage following those steps. I'm thinking especially of people who are fearful of doing the wrong thing or or coming off performative. It sounds like for you in particular, holding that space was really important and not trying to intervene in any way other than just like giving you the time to decide how you wanted to move forward. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And so, and they gave me the room to only share as much as I was willing to. A lot of people assume, especially related to sexuality and gender, like, oh, you told me one thing. Let, let's let read the entire book together right now. Let's read every single chapter together about everything you've ever gone through in your life. And that's just not what I'm about, not what my whole mission is about. That's not what normal human beings are about. I'm not willing to sell you the whole cow if you only bought a steak. 
So that's important to keep in mind when coming around these. These are very sensitive topics like these chapters, maybe just like myself, haven't been read out loud. So when they're being shared with you and those pauses occur, you need to be cognizant of that and just accept them for what they are and what they mean to that person. That totally makes sense. And I guess I'm wondering, too, is it helpful at all? And I guess it kind of depends on your relationship with the people in the room, right? Because there may be several people in the room. For you, would it feel supportive if someone reached out again, maybe a day later or so, just to check in with you? Or um, Definitely. I think this her, this particular person, it was actually, it's actually for a speaking engagement I have coming up. Mm-hmm. I have, I have to talk about my hist- my queer history. And mm-hmm. so their, their follow-up plan after the conference, first they acknowledged what was talked about. And like, if you feel comfortable, we can definitely talk about it more. I'm going to send you an email after this, just kind of covering what we talked about. If you want to talk more, I am here for you. So not really setting up that time, but just allowing that person to know Like, I am here for you. I can support you no matter what. If you need other resources or support, I can definitely provide that to you. Just let me know how you want to be supported. So, yeah. And I love what you said around talking about, like, what someone needs to feel supported. Because especially through this podcast, we're learning there can be some common themes. But also at the end of the day, people may need different things. And so as someone wanting to hold space for someone else, something that I've learned is, okay, it may seem helpful for me to say, how can I support you? And for some people, they may be able to articulate that. Some folks may be so caught up in the moment, and this has absolutely happened to me, where it's like, I don't know what I need, but I know I need support. So for those, again, wanting to like hold space for someone else, what are some things that tend to be helpful for you that someone could offer outside of just holding space, mm. which is great. I'm not trying to minimize that, but like, is there anything else that someone could offer that would feel good to you? Sometimes, especially if this is your first time reading your chapter aloud, or is your first time having a conversation about something that you had no idea was emotionally activating to begin with. It's best if it's recounted to you from the person that heard it. So that follow-up email is something I do after any conversation I have with people. If I'm networking with them, I always send a follow-up email just saying like, hey, this is what we talked about today. Um, Is there anything you want to move forward with or that you want to talk about more? And more often than not, people will respond to that just saying like, oh my gosh, I forgot I even spilled the beans on that. Like in that conversation, I completely forgot or I blanked out. And they will tell you what they want to move forward with. It is not really our job to be a savior for everybody. Um, and it definitely isn't something we want to take on as individuals. Like, I, I will not be able to save everyone. And even if I hear my own story and other people's stories, I can't really implement like, oh, this is what worked for me. So here you go. Here are all the things. Um, so really allowing people to move forward as they want to. And just saying like, hey, I do have resources pertaining to what we talked about. If not, then just let it go, I guess. Yeah. Hope that answered the question. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you answer it however you want. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm here to just hear what you have to say. But what I love about that too is the boundaries and goodness. I, the savior complex can be a lot 
especially with white people. So I want to acknowledge that. And I think that's a great reminder, especially again for this episode is that, yeah, we don't have to jump in or act like we have to save someone. That's not the point. And that's definitely not the point of allyship. It's well, yeah, I don't even think we have enough time to really get into <laughs> all of that today, so I'm not going to put that on you at all. But yes, that we really need to be mindful of what is our intention when we're trying to support someone? Are we trying to earn some sort of brownie points? Is it a genuine connection we're attempting to create? Do we really have that person's best interest in mind? So I love that as a, a really great reminder of why we're doing this work. So thank you. And I, you were clapping. I love it. I wish people could see us. <laughs> but there was clapping happening. So um, I'm taking that as a good sign. Was there anything else that you wanted to say about the safety pause before I jump to another question? Yes. So as someone who has done the safety pause numerous times for numerous identities, I know what it sounds like. There were a lot of people on that post that you um, talked about that had no idea what the fuck that was. I've never heard that before. That's not a real thing. Or, And so to those people, I would say, have you listened for it? Have you mm. taken the time to, we learn about active listening in like elementary school. And then afterwards, we never really talk about it again. Like, okay, I know to nod. I know to say, mm-hmm. I know to say, blink my eyes and like do the things. But you really need to incorporate the skills to acknowledge the emotions that are being expressed around you. That safety pause holds so many different emotions. It's like anxious. It's like ready to, like it's so many emotions. And without having heard that pause, you're missing so many emotions that are being expressed around you. So yeah, if anything else, just to start your allyship journey is to really just be cognizant of the emotions that are being expressed around you. Yes. What I would add to that too is you're not going to be a safer space for everybody. And so it could be because it's just not a community maybe that you know how to support and that is important to acknowledge. And something that's come up in another episode, um, another podcast episode I've done is whether or not you even have capacity to hold space for someone and being honest about that. Because if you can't be with someone in that moment, it's important for both of you to get what you're needing and, and be honest about that too, and then have that conversation. So for example, that could be something like, you know what, I, I heard you. I, I want you to know I heard you. It's not something that I feel that I can really support you with right now if that's what you're needing. Um, you know, and I just wanted to be honest about that so that you can get the support that you need because it's a, it's a bit to connect and we don't want to ignore it. That's, I think some of the biggest harm we could do is ignoring it or attempting to hold space with someone who we really just can't. So, um, yeah. How, how does that feel for you? That sounds really good. And it, um, one of my biggest, I mean, I'm all about boundaries. So one of my biggest boundaries is if I don't know what you need, or if I can't really personally speak to what you need, I have a huge, a big ass list of referrals, a big ass list of people who can definitely help you. And if you need that, I can provide that to you, especially if I'm like overbooked or over capacity. But having that already implemented in my processes and like I had that list already made up makes it so much easier for me to say that aloud. Like, Hey, I don't have the space, but here are people who do. Oh, I love that. Um, 
Well, we had a chat before our conversation today, and you talked a little bit about coming out professionally as queer a few years ago. I'm wondering how that process felt for you and what led you to share that part of yourself professionally. So when I started speaking more publicly about advocacy for yourself, more specifically my mental health conditions in the workplace, a lot of people started navigating towards me because of that advocacy and because of the conversation around that. But they didn't know who I was and they had a lot of questions about that. I thought I was gay for a really long time because that's the only vocabulary I had. And then um, I came up across a show. It's called A Shot at Love with Tila Tequila. For anybody who knows. Yeah, right? Oh, gosh. Right? Okay, anyway. So that is where (laughs) I got the word bisexual from, which we will get into. Um, And then as I move forward, I have... I have used the word queer now because of where I am in my life and my journey. I don't know a word that describes where I am. And so I use queer in my transition because I'm still looking for it. I'm still trying to find the vocabulary that I need to describe myself. So for now, it's a placeholder. But I came out professionally in LinkedIn spaces because I needed people to know that that the human being they are following has multiple identities. The human being you are following has multiple, is multifaceted, is a whole person. And because a lot of people were shocked when they'd come upon episodes of Absolutely Not and I'd mention my queerness or I'd mention bisexuality and they're like, oh, I had no idea. And, when you're, and you're constantly having to like um, inform people on like who you are. So I just got really tired of it and put it straight in my bio. That's why, that's why my identities are in my bio. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, oh gosh, there's so much there. There's so many things <laughs> I want to ask you after that. Um, something I've noticed in particular with the Black community is that, I mean, outside of even just AAVE, is there are terms, words, etc. that will come out because they don't want anything to do with like it just some of the terms that may exist today just don't feel encompassing of all of their experience. Mm -hmm. And it might be through like a white lens or something like that or European roots, et cetera. Right. So there's that part. So for example, same gender loving or SGL I've seen as one of those. Um, And then another would be, and of course I'm blanking on it now because all of the trains of my brain go everywhere. (laughs) Give me a second. Another one I've come across recently is this concept of inviting someone in versus coming out, Mm. right? Because my understanding of those, and I'm curious to know if um, your thoughts on these and if that's something you've heard before and all that, because I don't know, I don't want to make assumptions, but my understanding of coming out is it's just very centered around assuming that cisgender and heterosexual are the defaults. Mm -hmm. And so then the onus is on us to have to come out and share who we are, which isn't fair because we also should never be trying to force anyone to come out if they don't want to. We'll be right back after this break. Do you have a child between the ages of zero to 10? When it comes to talking about gender with your child, 
Are you scared of saying or doing the wrong thing? Are you concerned about losing your connection with your child? Wondering what is even age appropriate to discuss? Rebecca Miner, the gender specialist, is a licensed clinical social worker in Boston who supports parents across the United States to understand and affirm their child's identity. She's created a course for parents to have the tools and resources to confidently communicate about gender. The course will prepare you to support your child on their journey in a way that helps you both to be healthier and happier. Listeners of this podcast get 10% off with code ALLYSHIP. To learn more, visit genderspecialist.com learn. Thank you for listening. And now back to the learning. So then there's inviting in. And I love that. I love that because, again, it reminds me of a, a bid to connect that someone can take or not if we offer that. And it just feels more personal. It feels more like there's just more control on our end because, you know, no one should be making assumptions. But if we want to invite someone in, if we decide that we trust them enough, maybe they pass the safety pause test or something, you know, and we, we want to share with them and have that more intentional connection like that. I love that. I love that a lot more. And I still default to saying things like coming out because I know it's going to take people a while to to make that kind of transition. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm wondering, how does that language feel for you as far as like coming out versus coming in or, or sorry, coming out versus inviting someone in? Mm. I first I'll say I hope one day we never have to use this fucking language again. And, but <laughs> secondly, Like I said before, coming out has been used particularly for sexuality and gender and Mm -hmm. everything on there. But it's also a way for people to describe being different in any aspect whatsoever. And it's so weird that people were still centering like white male dominance and white supremacy by using the language of like coming out when act, when it actually I'm just like alive a human being living my life. I didn't get to come out because I was just living my life. I I didn't have the big surprise or tell anybody because I, no one ever told me that when you say hi my name is Katrina Shaw. Also by the way I'm queer. I didn't know that that was an action that you were supposed to be doing. I just lived my life. So I hope that one day we never have to do this again, but inviting in sounds a lot nicer than um, coming out. It sounds like there's a community waiting for me on the other side saying like, you're you're more than welcome to come in the store if you'd like to. If this is not the door for you, then go ahead. You can go find another door. But yeah, I, I just hope that our language moves away from centering what is the norm and people are just, there are doors, you can open them. Yes. And heavy, heavy air quotes on the norm there. Yes. Um. I guess I don't look queer enough to a lot of people. And so I've had my rainbow flag or a rainbow in my headline for a really long time. And I remember a black gay man reaching out and being like, it's so nice to have an ally who's just so happy. And I was like, what the? Do allies have rainbow flags in their? Sometimes okay, they good do. for them. They do sometimes. But Im- that immediately was like, wow, am I not gay enough? Like, am I not? Am I not? 
So I had to create a post and just saying like, hi, I'm not a fucking ally. I live, I live the same life that you do. But it's also, that's another reason why I'm so out and vocal about it because apparently people that look like me could not be, could, could not be queer or could not be bisexual. It just doesn't fit what people have in their brain of who belongs under the rainbow. So um, that's another reason why I'm so vocal about it, because I'm constantly trying to get people to realize that there are pictures on your brain that need to be updated. When you think about queerness, who the fuck pops up? When you think about mental health conditions, who the fuck pops up? When you think about being a veteran, who the fuck pops up? If it's not me, then you need to update your pictures. Wow. I'm just sitting with that (laughs) for a moment because I love that. Part of me is like, can we just start a podcast called Did They Really Just Do That? (laughs) And then it's me just interviewing all of these people who are like historically and currently marginalized and talking about the times when someone like mistook us for an ally versus actually being part of that community. It's the stuff that makes you want to flip a table. I won't do that because <laughs> that'll really mess up our podcast episode today and hurt my equipment here. But um, yeah, there's there's something about that that I, I mean, first, I, I really resonate with what you shared earlier with saying that you don't feel queer enough or that you're being read in the way that you want to, because that's something I struggle with as well, because even within our community more broadly, we see stereotypes and they're we just see them a lot. And it's hard to see like anyone else then who doesn't fit that exactly is considered kind of an outlier. And so that's challenging, right? So there's there's that part of it. Um, but like, yeah, there's just, there's just something that like really hurts when someone assumes I'm an ally. Yeah, there's just, it, it just, it feels really invalidating. It feels really like almost like patronizing also, you know, there's just a lot there. And I just, I wonder if instead would you have been open to someone saying, oh, hey, I noticed you have the rainbow flag in your headline on LinkedIn. You know, what inspired that? Would that feel better than just making like the assumption of like, oh, you must be an ally? Um, <laughs> like I if we're trying to have a conversation yeah, around it. What is the rainbow flag for? Like, why, why do you have a rainbow flag in your headline? Then I will answer the question. Oh, because I'm queer. Cool. So, but yeah, any question coming with an assumption or coming with the intention of not to learn about me, but to assume some shit about me, then wouldn't be just for me. Because that's the other thing, too, is, again, coming back to boundaries is sometimes I I imagine this may have happened for you, but I don't want to speak for you in your experience. But, yeah, sometimes people just like think they can ask me all sorts of stuff because they'll see something on my LinkedIn or my Instagram. And I'm like, excuse me, (laughs) like, first, let me give you my Venmo. And then then you can start asking me stuff. But and maybe there needs to be some language around this, too similar to like safety pause or something. And I don't know what that'd be right now, but that moment, there's gotta be a word for this. There's, there's gotta be something that really encompasses the complexities of this particular experience I'm about to share. But when someone finds out that you're part of a particular community and then the next thing they say is, can I ask you something? (laughs) We're making faces at each other. There's, there's gotta be, I mean, and it's, I mean, especially with like dating, newly friends with someone like anytime I'm like oh no like what this is gonna be bad Mm -hmm. I don't know but um yeah I guess was there anything that you wanted to share around that like particular experience 
I mean, that's why I'm so heavy into boundaries. Like I love boundaries so much because it's so weird how people will say, oh, this, this type of person deserves boundaries, but these people don't like, obviously they want me to talk about their queerness or obviously they want to talk about um, their mental health conditions and their journey because they post about it so much. No, the fuck I'm still a human (laughs) being. I still deserve boundaries. And you taking that away from me or taking my power away from me just because of what I share on a daily basis is unjust and unfair. Yes. When I am going to the doctor, I shouldn't have to educate them. I shouldn't have to put that hat on. And if I want to, I should have a choice in the matter because I'm going to them for a reason, you know, and there's a difference between someone asking me about my personal experience versus like asking me to speak on behalf of an entire population of people who also claim this identity so there's that part too we've got some clapping going on (laughs) so like uh, i really need to turn this into a video i need to follow your lead of of your podcast but um yes okay great well you teed this up a little bit earlier so i definitely want to make sure we talk about this but we had briefly talked about how queer as an identity has become a safe space of sorts from things like bi erasure bi phobia And I've jokingly said to several people in my life that bisexuality has some bad PR. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't I don't know what it is that we need to, like, have a marketing overhaul or what, because some of the same things I learned when I was in high school are still true today. And I'm going to be like 35 this year. So I'm like, that's a long time. But, you know, bisexuality in itself, it just continues to carry lots of stigma and misconceptions today. So I'm curious And, you know, there's so much I'm sure that you could share around this, but why do you think people outside of the community are embracing queer much more than terms like bisexual, while also acknowledging that sometimes that can be true instead of inside the broader LGBTQ plus community as well? Just like you said, it's marketing and branding. A lot of people are using the Q word for marketing it for actual marketing campaigns and branding. They don't want to learn about the community or all the all the letters that are included in the community. We have heard people say a lot of things about those letters and they just don't want to learn it. So they're using the Q word to just market like, oh, we do love the rainbow. We have a rainbow and we have the Q word. So that should be good. Um and I talked about where I learned the word bisexual from. I learned it from a shot in love with, like, that was a really <laughs> bad show. It was not good. And because of that, the word bisexual has been, like, hypersexualized. And any images or, pe- or persons you see um, that belong to that identity, bisexual, are often very sexual and very just um, promiscuous uh, when seen in films or in shows. So, and I, I personally have never met a bisexual person that's like that. I've never, ever met someone who identifies as as bisexual who's like that. And so it just goes back to like, who's marketing? Who's using these words? What are they using it for? And yeah, but people, so people outside of the community are using it for their own personal gain, are using it. And people inside of the community, I mean, Q, the Q used to stand for questioning. I, I, I think it stands for queer now, but I'm using the Q for questioning slash queer because that's what people outside of the community understand. But I'm mm-hmm. currently questioning where I belong under the rainbow. So yeah, it feels safe to me because it's still the Q that I remember and loved. Yeah, and it's not to say that 
when we're talking about queer as a sexual orientation or a sexual identity, that it doesn't still carry some sort of stigma and all that. It's just, like you said, I don't think it's near to the degree that bisexual has been dragged all of these years. It's not even like that we're trying to like slut shame anyone or something if they were someone who sleeps around and things like that. It's just that we're only getting that one narrative. Mm -hmm. And so then that people think, again, like that's the default. That's how all bisexual people experience their life and their identity and stuff. And we're like, uh, it's more than that, (laughs) you know? And then you're conflating things like polyamory and things like that, where again, there are so many boundaries. I had a guest on recently who was talking about how like, honestly, it's more conversations than anything else because it's a lot of navigating. What do you need? Okay, here's what I need. And okay, these partners are here and let's talk safe sex. And maybe like there's certain people I'm with that like I don't have sex with. So yeah, there's a lot there. But ooh, so we've talked about a lot of ways. We, we've talked a little bit about how you know, someone might be able to to support you because we talked about the safety pause. We've also talked about a lot of ways that we can get this stuff wrong. (laughs) So I'm curious, can you share about one time you felt truly supported by someone, especially related to your queerness and your questioning and your journey of figuring out who you are under the rainbow and and what they did to show up for you? Mm -hmm. So I've made wonderful connections on LinkedIn. And one of my strongest connections is a DEI practitioner. And she focused mainly on anti-racism and just anti-Blackness in the workplace. Since having been connected with me, um, oh, and this makes me want to cry because I haven't told her yet, but I'm so very proud of her. She has, she has included information on disabilities, on mental health, and on um, the LGBTQ plus community in her resources. And she did that without me talking about it. Or She went out and looked into it. She added it to her own shit. She wrote like, and now it's just included in who she is because I am included in her network. And and I, I really don't fucking know if she did that for me, but it just makes me feel so safe. There are so many people who claim to be about this shit and they're not about this shit or they are only about this shit for some pieces of me. And so as and I saw it very slowly, she just very slowly started including it in her posts and in her messaging and in everything and. That is where I feel safe for people who are able to accept all of me, all of the pieces of me and who are ready and willing to include that in everything that they're about. So, yeah, if it ain't that, I don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fuck yeah. And like those listening, if you also want to shout fuck yeah. Um, I'm also reminded why I don't like videos because like I'm kind of like ugly crying right now. Because that that that's so beautiful because that is exactly a great example of allyship is, I mean, having this podcast, I've had so many people who have reached out who are allies, well-intentioned, and they're like, oh, I want to be on. And I'm like, there's a reason I'm only talking to people from within the community because otherwise it's going to become the Brownie Points show. 
And again, like the intentionality of allyship is doing something without expecting the thank you, doing something without expecting someone to like acknowledge it. It's just because it's the right thing and it's going to have a far reaching impact. So gosh, thank you. That I love that. Oh, wiping the tears away. Uh, Both of us are. <laughs> oh, I will also add that she doesn't have a fucking rainbow flag in her headline. Like she, um, that, okay. I know we're talking about the positive parts of allyship, but there are so many sure. people on LinkedIn who have the rainbow flag and then they have ally shortly after. And it screams homophobia to me. It's, it's giving like, why did you add the ally afterwards? Like, why mm. don't you have the rain, just the rainbow flag? Yeah, yeah, because I think, okay, yeah, that, (laughs) (laughs) my brain is just, yeah, no, I I love that reframe because, yes, and and when I think of something as seemingly simple as putting one's pronouns or lack of pronouns in their email signature, we don't need to then have a disclaimer and say, oh, but I'm not gay or trans, right? We We don't need to do that, so... And we do want to acknowledge when a place is safer, but I think what our conversation has talked about a few times now is it's the actions. If you have a rainbow flag on your website, in your store, but you misgender me within five minutes, take that damn rainbow <laughs> down. You don't deserve it. Like because that you're you're giving a really mixed signal. You're you're not in alignment, your values aren't in alignment. You're just trying to go after the gay dollar and like we don't make as much to like the straight dollar and like the cisgender dollars. And then you start adding all the other, you know, marginalized identities. So no, you don't deserve our gay money if you can't get it right. So yes, that I think it just, it's one of those things that can come off very performative. So yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Woo. Oh gosh. I I mean this, I'm I'm just really appreciating this conversation. (laughs) Yes. So we, I think we've already shared several allyship tips within this episode. However, what's one allyship tip you'd like for everyone listening to consider? Do the work. I know people say that in so many different forms, like on so many different platforms, but just like I talked about earlier, my dear friend put in the work to create resources for other people to be allies for this community without asking a member of the community so before you go out of your way to ask me like, oh, why are your pronouns that? Or, oh, blah, look at the fuck up. Like simply go to Google and type in like they, she pronouns. I promise you there is a resource out there. I promise you somebody else has done that work for you and you just fucking have to read it before coming to me and asking me as a person in the community. Uh, ally is turning into a very weird word at this point. But for me, it means somebody who does not belong to the community and is advocating for that community. So if you are somebody who falls under the umbrella of not belonging to this community, but wants to support this community, please do some work on your end. Look look into your own sexuality, look into your own gender, look into the biases that you're carrying with you, then come to me and maybe we can have a conversation. While this is new for y'all, allies, it is also new for us. Like, I didn't have all these words. I told you I was I was gay for like a really long time. That was the only word that was available to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just really understanding that, that while y'all are growing in your allyship, our community is growing as well. 
Yeah, that's why it's important to also take a moment. And if you have that kind of relationship with somebody, ask them, like, what does that mean to mm -hmm. you? Because even when I do my training and stuff now, it's very rare I put definitions in what I'm saying. I'll give it something like loosely just to give us something to, you know, work from as a foundation, but understanding that because of intersectionality, someone's geographical location, their age, things like that, there may be reasons why they use certain language over something else, or it may mean something different to them with a different nuance because of, again, who they uniquely are. So, yeah, it's a lot. I don't know. I will say I do get scared about telling people to just Google stuff, too, because there's like a lot mm. of misinformation out there. So I guess the only thing I would want to add to that is just like be mindful what you're reading understand what you're reading like who is that person are they from that community can it be a trusted resource and i don't mean that it's got like a dot org or something after it or that it's a dot gov or something like that because i don't want to undervalue people just because we're like not in some peer-reviewed research you know journal or something that our lived experience doesn't still matter but be mindful of what that resource is, is that like its main focus? Are there other good resources on there? Do other people share that out? Because all of that matters too, because otherwise there can be some harm done there. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the only thing I, I wanted to make sure to add. Yeah, always yeah. be super critical of your resources. I recently followed like an anti-racism page on Instagram for like years to find out it was ran by a thin white woman. And, and, and just... I was not critical of that resource and I wasn't able to see, oh, wow, this information was coming through that lens. Like we talked about the themes and the lenses that are identities. So to know that that anti-racism source was coming through the lens of a thin white woman, like you, then I was able to look at what they had been projecting out and been posting. I was like, oh, wow, that is definitely coming through that lens. Like it informs mm -hmm. me a little bit of like, where their information is coming from, the themes throughout their information, and yeah, so on and so forth. So yeah, always be very critical of your sources. And that's why Blair Amani, especially mm -hmm. has a huge following on Instagram, is such a great resource because she's also asked for folks who are in the educator spaces, etc., that we be transparent about who we are so people can decide and make an informed decision on, on if they want to get information based on our unique lenses, right? Because like you said, and I know exactly which account you're talking about. I know exactly which one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, that transparency is important as well. Even if it's some sort of nonprofit or anything, be transparent about your values and things like that because – we don't want there to be some big reveal because someone figures that out and it's like, well, dang. And then we feel, I don't know, almost lied to or, or, or something like that in a way. So yes, let's be transparent about who we are. Okay. So I totally fangirled and you know what? I am not going to apologize about that. Absolutely not. Eh? 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 Okay. Listen, I love puns and dad jokes and it's just a nod to their podcast. Okay. This is what you get with me, <laughs> no refunds. But Katrina, wow, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your stories and your thoughts. I had a wonderful conversation with you and I'm grateful to amplify your work. If y'all are on LinkedIn, seriously, 
please go follow him because their posts give me so much to think about. And she really helps to highlight things that may not be on my radar. And now, the final three self-reflection questions to consider before you go. Number four, do you have any pictures in your mind you need to update? Number five, have you ever done a safety pause? Number six, is there any allyship work you've been avoiding doing? And if so, why? Visit allyshipisaverb.com for any resources and a full transcript of the episode. And remember, sometimes allyship means do the work. Mm-hmm.